Welcome to Securities Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 54 for Wednesday, September 14th, 2011. I am Bill Wadman. And I am Dan Gottesman. And we are here today talking about... Starting over. Starting over. Yep. Hey, can we just take one little aside here? Sure. So, what do you think about all of these celebrities getting pictures stolen from their cell phones? Um... I don't know. What do you mean? Like, first of all, it seems like it would be pretty hard to do. How are these people getting in? Well, you'd be surprised, man. Um, a lot of people don't have the world's most secure passwords. I mean, I, if I had to put money on it, I would guess that a lot yeah, of it is brute passwords force. Passwords into, into what? Into their phones. Yeah, but if they don't get physical access to their phones, how are these people getting in from just... It doesn't seem like they're hacking like, oh, I found her phone at the bar. I hear what you're saying. I, I, I think I misunderstood what you were talking about. So there's a couple of, obviously there's a couple of ways that someone could get into someone's stuff. There's the physical way, which is what I thought you meant. Sure. Where, where someone, you know, chooses like a stupid pin lock of like one, two, three, four on their phone and then, you know, then you're, then you're done. Yeah. But then there's the more uh, unscrupulous, nefarious thing, which, uh, which actually made its... I think it, it made its its big debut or not debut, but it it really peaked when uh, when that you know that that whole story and I think it was in the UK where that where that British newspaper sure, came but that's clean. getting into voicemail. No, but that, that's the point is there that there's someone on the inside who works for the company who has access to their systems who yeah. who will essentially can can be bought can be can be uh, paid off. Yeah, so but whose systems? AT and T or yeah. Verizon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but AT and T, they can't get. How does AT and T get to the pictures on my phone? Well, there are a lot of. I'm nearly certain that every smartphone, or even think think. Remember this, like roll back before the iPhone, if you can remember. Uh, I remember I had a friend. Yeah, where's that awesome vibraphone recording that we need to denote back in time? We'll put it in flashback. Oh, that'd be great. Um, so you remember when like having a camera on your phone was a big deal and yeah. having uh, a custom ringtone on your phone was a really sure. big deal. And so, so I had this friend and she had, um, I think Sprint was her carrier. Um, and Sprint, or I think I want to say Sprint and Verizon both had services like this where you would have to, uh, you know, you'd have like. Your whole, they would give you an email address and, a, and an account, and you would use their services for all of the cool functions on your phone. Yes, because uh, this is bef- you know, and this is before you know all of the the, the standard software that that you know we know and right. use on our Macintoshes. A, a lot of those apps, like a lot of those phones, would take a picture and automatically upload it to a server. Correct. Right. And I then, can understand that. because yeah. Then it's on a server. Right. So I would I wouldn't be surprised if that's how some phones still, you know, behave. I still, you and I, we both still know people who use old ass feature phones. Yeah, I mean, I guess apparently, like some of the Paris Hilton stuff was she she was using a Sidekick. Yeah, and Sidekick stores all that crap on the server. Yeah, right. I just, I think, uh, you know, this came up because I guess Scarlett Johansson's phone got hacked, mm. and and from what you can see in the video, it looks like it's probably a BlackBerry. Huh. Which. If it is, it's surprising to me because Blackberries are usually pretty secure. Um, 
Because that's sort of like one of their things, right? Is that they're not... Even like if you BlackBerry message somebody else, that's actually end-to-end encrypted between the two phones. Yeah, I think you're right. Even through the network, it's completely encrypted. So like BlackBerry couldn't even get to them if they wanted to, Mm. um, which was kind of the point. But what if she's using, you know, another app or a a, a picture-sharing service, you know? You're right. I just... It just... I could understand if it ends up on a server somewhere. I just want to know... Are these people actually getting onto the phone somehow through the network and getting to the phone's data, which kind of seems surprising? I, I mean, I I don't know, man. I, I at this point, I I would I would believe just about anything. You know, the fact that we can you know, we can log into our phones remotely, you know, and see where they are and and wipe them. The fact that you can do a remote wipe on a phone, true. That kind of like opens the possibility that, that you know if if they can if they can erase the phone, then why can't they just go in and poke around and see what's on there? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's uh, I don't think I don't thing. think phones are as secure as 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 we you know we think that they should be. Or yeah, we think that it, they are. It's almost as if um, the data and the network. You would think that they'd be more segregated, mm-hmm. and that connections between the two would only be opened up when absolutely necessary. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I hear what you're saying. We but have pictures and they're stored on here as if this was a little digital camera. But then there's also this wireless side over here. And, you know, when a picture needs to be sent, this connection gets opened between the two and the picture goes in one direction. You know what I mean? You'd think that they would think about that stuff in that way. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question for uh, Mossman. Yeah. In fact, I was just going to say Mossman um, recently got a smartphone. Uh, for the first time? For the first time. I think it's an Android. Uh, and uh, as you as you might remember, I was visiting with him uh, yeah. in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, and he doesn't keep any uh, personal information on his phone. He does not use his phone for email uh, because his 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 initial argument is because he doesn't know and doesn't trust the operating system and the you know there there are too many parties who have access to it um, between the phone and the and the server, you know. So, yeah. so he's he's like it's it's too insecure for me, and I I, I just I can understand I his his point of view, but it also kind of is like all right, well then what's the point of having a smartphone? Well, he has a point. Uh, uh, he, he, the re- the main reason he purchased it was uh, for for development. Okay, uh, he's right. working. You know, I, I'm not sure if I told you this. Here's an update for our fans of Mossman out there. Anyone who's listened to the the Mossman uh, podcast from way back when, he was our first special guest. Um, he has since quit his job working for the government and is now uh, focusing completely on developing cool new hacker toys, basically hacker, you know, little, he started a company called great Scott gadgets and he uh, is selling the, the Uber tooth and he has something called the throwing star land tap, um, which are available at all the, you know, the nerdy hacky uh, online resellers. Um, and he's doing the, the, the hacker con security conference, um, circuit giving his presentations. You know, he was just, he was just at DEF CON and he's going to tour con, um, next month, you know, presenting wireless. I think he's, he's also, so he's, yeah, he's developing a whole bunch of really cool things. One of the things he's working on is, a is, a, a quote unquote, a poor man's digital radio, which is kind of cool. There's a really neat digital radio, like peripheral. It's like a USB device. Um, but it costs like over, well over a thousand bucks. And so he's trying to make one that's like a 10th of the cost or something like that, or, you know, much, much cheaper so that people can learn more about it and use it for cool stuff. 
So anyway, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, we should. I mean, I, I understand him. that, but there's a point at which you get and that's almost paranoia. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I think it's funny how that works. It's like once you know about it, and then once you understand it, and once you start like playing that game, and and you you know you meet these people who could do these things. It's like you can't afford to not be as paranoid as they are because that you know once they see you, once they know that you know, then you know yeah. then you're a target. Kind yeah, of thing. and if you don't go outside and never meet anybody, you're safe. Yeah, you know, like there's, there's, a, you know, there's a certain point at which it's true. There's definitely it's a self defeating. Yeah, uh, which actually kind of segues into what we're talking about today, mm, which is, yeah, in some ways, yeah, sure. Uh, the, the idea that uh, Dan's come up with is if you were to come home one day and all your stuff was gone. Sure. I mean, I, I was a little bit more abstract. I was like, you know, if if you're robbed, if yeah. there was a fire, if you had to leave your all of your stuff behind, you know, due to a natural disaster. Um, an earthquake in New York City, for instance? An earthquake in New York City? Uh, yeah, Never happened. For example. Um, so, yeah, I, I just got to thinking, you know, how, how might you... Um, start over like if you you know let's let's for the ben for the benefit of this discussion let's assume that you have uh some sort of renter's insurance and so you uh you know you, you filed a claim and your insurance company was like okay yeah we see that all your stuff is gone so here's a check and now you get to uh you get to rebuild you get to start over yeah now they're not giving you enough money to buy a new version of all the stuff you had right it would be whatever the value they think it would have after a certain amount of time. Uh, well, I, I guess it would depend on your policy. My yeah. renter's insurance policy uh, reimburses me for replacement costs. Okay, right, yeah. exactly. So if your D3, mm -hmm. what it's called? D3. Yeah. D3. Then I call uh, D3. Right. Uh, which was $4,000 camera is probably now like a $2,800 camera on eBay. Uh-huh. So I would get so I would get twenty eight hundred dollars, not four thousand. No, I would get the four thousand because I would need to buy the modern day equivalent of that. Oh, I see. Yeah, the replacement cost. Like, how much oh, okay. would it cost me? So, like, and that's actually really cool. I mean, you know, if if you have an old, you know, three year old MacBook Pro and they don't make those anymore, then you get right. the sort of the like for like replacement for it. I will give you five hundred dollars to come rob me then. <laughs> well, why don't you give your renter's insurance five hundred dollars first? You know, so <sighs> you need to get that. Is that where we're going? You don't have renter's insurance, huh? I don't. I never have. Ever? Nope. That's amazing to me. Well, I guess if you've never been robbed or nothing bad has ever happened to you, then I, you know, then why would you bother? No, I understand the concept of it. I just never got around to doing it. And, um, you know, like, yes, I have a lot of stuff worth something. Um, but, okay, let's, let's assume for the moment. Let's just play the game. Uh -huh. And I come home and everything's gone or everything's busted or right. all hell broke loose. Um. Yes, it would cost me. I mean, to replace everything I have, probably fifteen to twenty thousand. But uh, probably more than that, dude. We're just talking photo and computer stuff. Oh uh, well, I guess my stereo I mean, plus that another I'm, five I'm, grand set, the, dude. The, the, you, we, we, you need to take a take a minute and like just scan your apartment and me start mentally. We're talking about everything, like furniture and everything else. Well. I was. I thought we were talking about like we technology. Were, we were, but I'm telling you, you're, you you spent twenty thousand dollars is barely covers your camera gear. Uh, you'd be surprised. I actually don't have 
that much stuff. I've seen how much stuff you have. You have a lot of stuff. Yeah, but like, okay, let's let's well, let's do a quick little tally here. Okay. Okay, five D Mark II is like twenty two hundred dollars. Sure. Uh, I have a fifty one point two. That's like fifteen hundred dollars. A a thirty five one four. That's I think like fourteen hundred dollars. So three thousand plus two. There's five fifty five hundred plus the eighty five one point two. So for seven grand, you have my camera and lenses. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's, I think it's more than that. Um. Plus, you know, there's other other stuff too. You know, as far as yeah. your, your flash. But I mean, my lights aren't that expensive. No, I get which. It. Okay, well, you know, here let's. This is a good example though. Like I have, I use, um, I've used the same. I have a couple Alien Bees strobes that I bought when I first started out, like five years ago. And I'm talking about all of your camera stuff. Like you, no, you have I some know. nice old film cameras too, which are not cheap. Yeah, but it's funny they are cheap. Wow. <laughs> I mean, my Hasselblad, I bought. Body back lens uh-huh. uh, from KEH four years ago for eight hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, that's not bad. Which one do you have? Uh, you have an eighty? Uh, yeah, there's just uh, the old eighty. Nice. Um, and like my uh, Leica is an M4. Uh huh. Those aren't cheap. I, I paid. God, I wish I had that Scandria. I think it was twelve hundred dollars. Still, I'm just saying it, yeah. it's a lot, and then you know, and then there's the computer gear, no, and then it there's does. all the accessories. But, but the question is, well, the, part of this part of this equation is whether or not you need the stuff that you had. Right. So let's not let's not focus so much on the on the how much exact how replacement, much but like what you would do if you got to start with a clean slate, because there's plenty of stuff that I wouldn't buy again. Oh yeah, like what? Um, or I wouldn't. Not that I wouldn't buy it. Like it's bad stuff, but like if I was going to replace a whole kit, I would not buy it. Um, I would not buy the Alien B strobes again if I was going to replace my kit. Mm-hmm. Um, the White Lightning ones are nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably instead, like right now, I have a, a B eight hundred and a B four hundred, mm-hmm. which are fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're look for the price for a few hundred dollars, they're amazing. Yeah, you totally. Um, I'm not ripping on Alien B's gear. No. Uh, no. But the problems I have with them, for example, the soft lighters don't really fit around them because hmm. they're so because they're very they're very square boxes, right? And they have a big front to them, and the sock doesn't fit over the strobe, right? Uh, which is just frustrating because I prefer to use those than soft boxes, sure. just because they're easier to set up and tear down and travel with. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a reason why I don't use them as much as I would because. Can't fit the stupid thing over. Right. Um, I would probably instead spend more money and buy a two or three head Profoto kit, like an acute B. Nice. Or like a, just an acute, uh, a twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. I don't need a lot of power. No, no. Um, sure. But I would probably do that. And uh, so, in fact, I've looked into it. But it's you know what it is. It's the kind of thing where if I have this, yes, I could sell these for. Three hundred, four hundred dollars for the two of them, right? And then go put that towards the other one. But like in the end, yeah. will I end up with anything that different? What do no. you mean? No, of course not. And, um, and and any shoot that I do that's big enough to where I need a lot of lights, I'm at some place where I'm renting anyway. Well, that's the question I had: is like, where do you draw the line between owning and renting? Uh, for me, lighting. I have all the lighting gear that I will probably buy, like two or three lights, mm-hmm. tops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's there's famously uh, Annie Leibovitz. I think only owns 
from what I read one time, she has two cute bees, mm-hmm. and that's it. As far as and what he, she owns, right? Yeah, as far as what she has, like in her studio. Yeah. Um, to walk out the door with and do like a small little portrait shoot. Yeah. But if she has to do anything bigger than that, she's well, renting anyway. Well, yeah, because it's people are paying for it. Right. Exactly. Uh, there's a lot of photographers that don't own cameras. I, you know, some I of do. these high-end guys. I know. Which I, all too well. Which I both understand and I don't understand. Because, <laughs> well, because that means that they're never doing anything for themselves, or they're making so much money that they're renting to do stuff for themselves, which just seems like, for me, I use my gear as much for myself as I do for clients. Right. So, I want to have good gear for my own projects as well as what I'm doing for them. So, it's some people would say, well, it's really inefficient to buy that $2,000 lens when you could rent it for $50. I know a lot of uh, wedding photographers who rent their gear. Yeah, well, it makes sense. It's Yeah. It's cheaper. Yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, well, then you're never using it when you're not working, which... Yeah. But at the same time, it's like if you're... It, it, I think what the, the answer to that question that you're posing right there um, is, is the whole where it's a thing where you're, uh, let's say, like, if you're, uh, if you have a job that you've done many, many times, if you're a wedding photographer, if you're a product photographer, if you're, you know, even, you know, like a press, whatever, it doesn't matter. Let, let, let's say that, you know, there's a, like this really expensive lens, like the 300 two eight or whatever. Right. Right. And it costs like five or six grand. You, you know, you, you don't need to necessarily own that and like spend all this time practicing with it. Um, when you could be renting it for you know, you know a fraction of that cost for the the few t- you know the times that you need it, and so like even think right. about it, man. Like you you'd like you'd have the, the justification for purchasing it. You you'd need to to um to rent it like I don't know a hundred times. No, know? it's not that much. Like, These things. Well, here's the thing though: is that I first of all I have a fairly small kit. No, I know. I'm I'm, being, I'm which, making an example. And and the stuff that I use. You're right. If if I once a year go and shoot the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. but the rest of the year I use wide-angle lenses, Sure. then yeah, rent the long lens for the Super Bowl. So, so my, my answer to the thing that you were talking about as far as like these guys who aren't shooting for themselves, I think what, what's more, what's probably more likely is that because these certain jobs were, you know, demand the larger, you know, like for example, medium format digital, which is a, you know, a huge investment, you know, of a yes. minimum of like... 20 to 50 K. And if you want to get the whole package with all the lenses and all that stuff and multiple bodies and all that stuff, you know, you're creeping into the hundred K range, but you can rent that entire rig for like, you know, five grand or, or, or less, you know, and, and the client's paying for it anyway. So it's like, you know, it's like you're renting this one tool for this one job and you know, you know how to use it and you've used it a bunch of times but it doesn't make sense for you to own it. Yeah. Uh, and, but that doesn't mean that you're not, you're not still thinking photographically and shooting for yourself, you know, outside of that job. Well, what are you using to shoot for yourself outside of that job? Well, you, you have a 35 millimeter camera or, or whatever, maybe okay. you shoot film or whatever. Maybe. Yeah. It's, you know, and I had the first time I ever used the 85 one two was on a ad shoot. So it's like, I rented this lens because I was going to use it. Mm-hmm. And I used it, and it was great, and I ended up buying one. But I ended up buying, actually, an older model of it. Uh, I ended up buying the Mark One versus the Mark II, um, which is a little slower to focus and whatever, but it was literally half the price of a new Mark II. And I was like, you know what? The amount of time that I use this... Yeah, it's worth it. It's fine. It's like, this is this is crazy sharp. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I don't know, there's part of me that is a little bit 
judgmental. Uh-huh. Look, with the medium format stuff, I can completely understand because that stuff is crazy expensive. And unless you're shooting with it so much that it's like that, you know, the forty fifty thousand dollars doesn't matter to you. Right. You know, if you're making that much money. Yeah. It used to be that you could buy these things and then rent uh, and then rent them to yourself. Right. Well, a lot of people do that. Right. Okay. Yeah. But a lot of shoots now, clients balk at that. Because that used to be like a big trick where, let's say I had this big $10,000 pro photo lighting kit. Right. That I would buy this kit and then basically say, oh, I'm renting this kit from myself Mm -hmm. for this shoot. And so you have to pay me $1,000 to use for me to use my own lights. Mm -hmm. Um, Ways to do this, you could set up a shell company or set up a production company and have the production company on the lights, but you know, they're your lights. Right. Um, And this was a way basically to have. have clients pay for your gear um in which case it was the best of both worlds you were both getting paid the clients were paying for it and you got to use it on your own time right um but a a lot of a lot of shoots and estimates i've done in the past few years people actually like complain about that Hmm. and it ends up getting taken off so it's like almost like they're getting smarter about it um i guess but what if you don't own it I mean, how do they know if you own it or not? Well, that I mean, that's the thing. well, they they have to see receipts. I see. So there, I mean, there are, I mean, and there are ways around that. You can fake receipts, I'm sure, but you know what I'm saying. Like that, that this is, but this used to be very, very commonplace, and now it's a little bit more questionable. But it's it's funny. I don't know. I just feel like um, if you, it tends to make me think that there are people out there who just think about this stuff very differently than I do. Hmm. Um, Like, there are a lot of photographers who just see it as a money-making pursuit. Yeah, it's a job. It's a job. And that's fine, but I almost feel like that's a different thing than somebody who really... I don't know. This is very difficult for me to to put into words without sounding like a jerk. (laughs) Um... Do you understand what I'm trying to get at, though? I think so, but I want to hear there, you sound like a jerk. There, <laughs> so does everyone. Um, that that if 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 all you care about taking pictures is that it's a paycheck, mm-hmm. there's part of me that thinks, well, then you don't care about it as much as I do, and you are not. You're a poser, basically. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, okay, well then go fix cars or do something else. Like this is an artistic pursuit on top of being a business thing. I see. And, and if you're only in it for the business, then get out of the way of the people who are doing it because this is really the love of their life. Hmm. Um, and so sometimes when I hear about photographers who rent all their gear, it makes me think that they're one of those people. Gotcha. You know, I do like, know. Oh, obviously. Well, they don't really care about this stuff because, you know, or they're so busy that they're shooting so much that they don't want to think about photography when they're not shooting, you know. Yeah. Kind of no, no. I uh, totally which, which very well may be the case. And I've had weeks and months where I've been so busy that I, like, I was just crazy. And I was like, I'm not taking pictures mm-hmm. when I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I, ge- I generally don't carry a camera with me. Like a lot of photographers, they have a camera with them all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I used to be one um, of those. Yeah, and uh, but it, but it 
Do you understand what I'm saying, though? I that, like, completely they're, they're, understand. I'm just letting you articulate. Do you think I'm wrong? Um, well, that's... Or rather, do you disagree? Yeah, I, I, I can't say that you and I have the same point of view on that. Uh, sure. I completely and totally understand what you're saying and wh- what your motivation is. Um, and, and I guess... It's the same with even, music, by the way. I was going to say, I mean, I, I could even say that like 10, maybe 10, 12 years ago, before I was a little bit... You know, before as as experienced and knowledgeable, you know about how the you know the world works or whatever. Uh, I w- I might have even been a little bit more inclined to share uh, that point of view with you, but I found that you know as I've gotten more successful and more experienced and just you know seen seen more things. Uh, You'd become more jaded, is what you're saying. No, no, I become less jaded, dude. I become like it's like I care less, you know. It's like I, I now that I now that I see that there are people out there doing things that I, you know, that don't really affect me or don't I don't have any control over or don't really matter so much. It's like I don't really I don't really care, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you know now if you were to ask me would I do it that way? No, I wouldn't do it that way. Um, but uh, but seeing other people who do do it that way doesn't bother me as much it's it's you know i i've met people who are in in music like into music Mm -hmm. but they're not in music to try to really you know do something new or or write something great they're like i'm gonna write a hit song and make a million dollars and like that's why they're into it for the money yeah and it's kind of like well then you're in it for the wrong like if if you write something really great and that becomes something because it's really great, well, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if what you're trying to do is write something to be profitable, that just, like, I don't know, it just, it... Yeah, it it, it cheapens the art. I hear what you're saying. And then there's also, you know, there's also, I'm sure uh, we've all seen and heard this little uh, tidbit of advice or wisdom or whatever you want to call it, where in in an ideal situation, what, what you have chosen as your profession you know, what, what you're doing to make money or, you know, to, to, to make a living should be something that you would be doing anyway, regardless yes. of whether or not, uh, you know, someone paid you or not. And, and, and the people I'm talking about, it seems like they're doing it because it's a, an easy buck. Yeah. Well, my, my, if I had to guess about how that happened, my, my, my assumption would be that most of those people, uh, didn't start out that way. And I, I would ex- I would expect uh, if if we were to happen to find one of those folks and have a chat with them, my bet would be that they started out not unlike you or me or any any of the you know creative people that that uh, that we know. They got beaten down by the business. You could say that. Um, I would say that you know they they have they had they've essentially gotten so deep or so far into the system that. Um, you know their priorities changed. You know their their point of view changed. I mean, I mean, think about it. It makes sense, dude. I mean, if you're let's so let's just let's just play it out for a second. So let's say you know you're you're Bill and you're you you love taking pictures and you love doing what you're doing. And you know after doing it for a couple of years, people start to notice you and you start to get a lot of work and then you start to get busy. And next thing you know, th- this stuff that you love doing is all you're doing, right? Sure. Uh, now. Uh, if some people, that's great. You know, that's they're 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 you know that's they're in their their little routine and they're doing what they love and and who knows maybe it'll just it'll just sort of stay in that that little loop. 
uh, and you know that little routine, that cycle. But my my bet is that after a certain period of time, because you know things, the people's tastes change, the economy changes. You know, people people get uh, fatigued, and you know the new hotness comes out or whatever. You know, th- things change, fashion, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then and then you have to you have to sort of adapt to that. So I don't know. It's how do you know you you might not turn into one of those dudes? Uh, no, absolutely. I just I just think it's sad. I guess. Okay. Um, okay. I, you know, I've met. Um, I know a lot of people in other arts, and I was talking to them yesterday, mm-hmm. forming arts people. Mm-hmm. And and one of them was like, you know, I don't like doing it anymore. It's kind of like the it's it's no fun to me, even though I am really good, and that 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 the industry is so miserable that it takes all the fun out of it yeah it's you know i'm thinking about it now as well uh and i can i can think of look it's even like that shoot we did the aspca thing that we did that time right sure sure which you know was whatever it was fine did you ever see the final work on that by the way no i haven't but but like just you know the 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 people that were on the video set that like producer woman you know (laughs) yeah it's like she was just miserable. Yeah. And it was kind of like, why are you miserable? Like, look at what you're doing. Well, because... Like, just just breathe for a minute. Everything seems like it's going fine from my eyes, and I've been sitting here watching for two hours, you know? Right. Like, you're, you're, you're making drama and making stress just to, to, to create stress. It's like a power trip or something. No, That's how it you're, felt. You're just, yeah, and you're just seeing a slice of it. Um, I guess... But you've been in the business long enough to know that what winds up happening are these these producers and these these coordinators and these project managers and all of these people. What, what, here, here's here's if I did let's let's just sort of off the top of our heads let's let's just explain this a little bit more detailed so that people know what the hell we're talking about. So so on the larger scale, uh, you know, when it comes to commercial work. Um, it, everything starts to get exponentially more complicated. More uh, expensive. Well, it gets more expensive. So, like you know, when when you see someone who has who get, you know who's on this, like if you were to like take take a you know a traditional um, magazine ad campaign, you know, like pick up pick up the New Yorker or whatever, and, and take a look at one of the national brands, you know, and 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 you know look at it for a second and look you know look at the photography. That's just a small component of all of the other stuff that's going on behind the scenes there. And because there's so many people involved, the price has to go up. And that's, and that's kind of, that's something that I've always really, I don't know. I've, I've got a kind of a, a love hate relationship with it because there's a part of me that really despises the too many, too many cooks thing. You know, I really, I, I mean, it's a combination of not liking so many people being involved and really liking small uh, nimble, creative teams. Well, it's, it's often know? a waste too. There's often too yeah, many. Yeah, people. but but my point is, is like, it gets to a point where there's only so much that you can do by yourself. You know what I mean? So it's sure. like you can. Let's say you and your your team of two or three people are really talented, really efficient. You have your your whole routine down, and you can you can, you know, get just about anything done. Um, because you've been working together for a while and you know you know all the moves and stuff like that. But at, but at some point, someone might ask you to do something that is just so big that you know it's such a large like like photographing a hockey team or sure. or you know taking you know we want you to shoot 
pictures of all of these buildings, you know, or it's some some really large project, which is which is really cool because there's a ton of work and and it has the potential to make a lot of money. But it, it you know, there the, you you do reach this point where there's like it's just too much work for your existing team or for yourself. And so as soon as you get to that point, you need to start involving other people. And as soon as other people become involved, that's when things get tricky. And when you when you start factoring in, you know, all of the other aspects of like, you know, of, you know commercial art as far as licensing and, and, and contracts and, you know, legal stuff and billing, you know, all the accounting and, and you sure. know, taxes and, you know, there's just so many different things that come into play that, you know, are, are this sort of necessary evil and it can totally, you know, and, and this sort of, I guess this sort of segues into my my uh my personal stance on why i'm not really that interested or motivated to you know to become a, a quote-unquote big-time photographer um and that's because I, I i know from seeing guys who have reached that level you know who are making that kind of money and doing that kind of work they're you know they're not doing that that's that's not the the role that i'm interested in man the, the actual their day-to-day if you were to sit if you were to you know shadow one of those guys for 48 hours <laughs> uh, most of that time is not spent doing the cool photography type stuff it's doing all of this other hustling and management and yep. and expectations management and and contacts you know it's a, it's a lot of work and don't get me wrong um i'm not saying um it's bad i mean i think it's really important and i think that's that's required you need to be able to do that stuff to be successful um, and and I guess if I were pressed and if I found myself in that situation, I could probably hang. I could play ball. But if you were to ask me if I was having a good time and is that what I want to be doing, uh, the answer would be no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I was on a shoot a couple of years ago, and I was shooting a bunch of people. And the art buyer, um, I was working with this one person, and, and she was a tough nut to crack. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, very like one on one with this girl, like kind of wearing her down, trying to get what I needed to get. Mm-hmm. And I was running a little long for her. Like we we kind of set up like forty five minutes a person, and I was like at fifty minutes or whatever. Uh-huh. But she was just starting to warm up after like an hour of working her. Right. And uh, and I knew that the last person of the day was going to be easy because I had talked to him a bunch of times, and he seemed like he was totally like, oh yeah, whatever you need, you know. So I knew he would be a half an hour guy. So I wasn't at all worried about timing. And the art buyer came over to me and said, oh, Bill, can I speak to you for a minute? And I like, pulled me off of the shoot mm-hmm. over off to the side and was just like, yeah, um, like the schedule, we're running a little late and blah, 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 blah. Like, like, and you really got it. I'm like, I was like, you, are you kidding me? You, you pulled me away from this woman that I've been working for an hour. Tell me something that I already know. And you know what I mean? Like, it was like, and now I have to go back and kind of start. I'm back 15 minutes mm. now mm-hmm. because you interrupted. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know exactly. And I was like livid at the woman because yeah. I was like, you, I, you're paying me a lot of money because I know what I'm doing. Like, let me do my job and don't micromanage me. Yeah. You nightmare little. Oh, God. <laughs> it like still gets me upset. Because oh, it's like, man. that. that's what I'm good at. And basically, you're sitting there like, Excuse me, Mr. Andretti, could you take that turn a little bit more tightly? 
You know what I mean? You're, like you're that's not sort of fir- stuff. You know, we just want to let you know that you're not in first place, and um, yeah, we really think you should just pick up the pace a little bit. And yeah, it's like try to, yes. try, to, try to try to get back in first place. Yeah, okay. I'm aware of that, lady. <laughs> you know, like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's what it felt like. Totally, what it felt like. Yeah. And I was like, I'm in the zone working this woman, and you pulled me away and ruined uh, the energy I that's, had. That's annoying. That's yeah. Annoying. It, it just to, I don't know, make herself feel better. She thought I would, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's those kinds of things. that dr- It's like you just made this situation worse by trying to make it. Right. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's and, and, and to some extent, it kind of makes you feel like, okay, if you did that, then you have no idea what this industry or what we're trying to do. Yeah. Or, or, you know. Because you would, you would have the sense to know, oh, he's doing his job and he's it's true. doing what he needs to do. And like, if. If you can't see that, why are you here? So, you know? so knowing what you know, you know, knowing now, sort of coming back around to the main point here, um, would you uh, would you do anything differently when starting over? Like, 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 let's say you lost all your. Would you? Well, here's here's a really basic question. Would you continue? Like, let you lost all your stuff. Would that be? Would you interpret that as the world's way of telling you that, hey, man? It's time to move Get to out Iowa and become a farmer. <laughs> you know? uh, uh, I mean, would, would you would you be that extreme, or you know, like maybe I should reconsider being a musician and buy uh, buy a piano and and you know start doing uh, that again, or would you still would you, you would you stay you you, you, you want to stay in the photo business? Yes. Okay. So uh, I I would probably buy less gear than I have now. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I would slim it down even more. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, it's funny. I would buy a lot of what I have because I, I've actually wore my kit down so that it's actually pretty small. Mm-hmm. No, I you... probably have less gear than you do, ultimately. Oh, oh of course. Yeah. That's not so um, much, though. Lots of people have less stuff than I do. I'm a pack rat. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you know, it's... It. It's really... No, it would not stop me from being a photographer, which I guess in some ways says something about me versus the people who are in it for the buck, although I guess they would go buy a new camera too, because they gotta get back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, making rent. Um, but, you know, some people would ask whether it would make me, oh, would it make you switch to Nikon? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I don't know about that. That's, uh, I mean, I guess, that, yeah, it's a legitimate question, but I, I can't see you doing that. <laughs> no, I, I would not do that. I don't, I don't like the... The UI. Yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't like the way it feels. Um, but it, it's, it, yeah, all, all the stuff I have now, it's the high-end primes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I was looking at some pictures I took yesterday. Actually, the pictures we took during the Rockwell shoot on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Those pictures at, you know, F11 mm-hmm. on the 51-2 mm-hmm. are so scary sharp. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, they're scary sharp. Like, I have to soften them because they're, you know a little too perfect. Um, and it just, it cracks me up. It's like, wow, I, there's nothing that I can't do with what I have, you know? Well, that's, um, a, that, that must be a really great feeling to have. It's a great feeling. And it's also a slightly terrifying feeling, you know, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, we've mentioned it on the show before at yeah. a certain point, your gear is not your limiting factor. Then your imagination is your living limiting factor. And then that's where it gets scary. It's like, and that's no. where it gets scary. You know, um, yeah. it's, it's kind of like I have all the options in the world. I have money and I can go live wherever I want. Well, where do I want to go? Well, Oh man, now there's no walls up. 
Yeah. yeah. And that, that for some people, that's extremely terrifying because they're dependent on their walls and their routines and their tracks and their patterns. It's easier to like say, that. oh, I, this picture doesn't look quite like it should because the crappy zoom lens I'm using. Hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, I what would I buy? I would buy a 5D Mark II. I would buy uh, the 5035. I wouldn't bother with the 85. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use it, but not enough to make it a thing. Oh, and the 28. 2818. Yeah, you love that little guy. That's my little guy. But those three lenses, I could live on. Nice. Uh, In fact, those three lenses are what I travel with most of the time. Sure. Uh, Or I bring the 514 just because it's smaller and lighter. Whatever, I don't really need that extra half a stop. Sure. Um, um, I would... You know, you're a big speedlight guy. Well, I I have a lot of them. That's what you mean. Yeah. Um, I have two, and I might buy one. I don't like using a lot of speed lights. Although I guess we use speed lights to good effect on travels a couple years ago. Yeah. Well, the way um, I mean, just just to put it in perspective, the only reason I I I, I use the speed lights is just because they're so damn small. Yeah. You know, and and you know, I basically like having a set of lights. I mean, I think I think for the for the kind of portrait type work that I do, which is not unlike what the stuff that you do, um, I feel like four lights. Is, is a is a good number to have. You know, it's not like I don't think ever. You know, not all of my shots use four lights, but I think I use a a minimum of two, and yeah. sometimes three. And then having the fourth one, either as a spare in case one of them isn't working, or for that extra little kick when you need it, kind of thing, uh, is really handy. And you know, the difference between three and four is not that big. I um, used uh, I used three lights yesterday, and I think it's the most lights. Well, I guess we used four lights on the other shoot, but that was only to lighten up the background. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's like for little yeah. little stuff like that, you know. Sure. So um, and you know, and and if you're talking about putting you know a, an extra little thing in your bag, it's it's not gonna it doesn't cost you that much. But as far as um, like bigger strobes, I would probably if I was going to do it today, mm-hmm. I might kind of go your route. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I. The white lightnings are pretty nice for the money, mm-hmm. um, but I would buy much more. I would buy a bunch of the same lights. Where I have, yeah, a yours four, I have a four hundred alien B, an eight hundred alien B, a thirty two hundred white lightning. Mm-hmm. I have the uh, the alien B's ring light, which I rarely use. Then, um, you, then you have your pro photo. And I have then, a pro photo acute. I've yeah. got uh, yeah. So for me, I would buy a much more homogenous kit. Totally. Um, yeah, that's that's what I wound up doing. I don't know that I would. Yours are sixteens. I, well, I have I, all of two sixteens and two eights. I don't remember. I have a, I have a few. I, well, I, the problem is I got that damn package deal, you know, yeah. from from Craigslist. I couldn't. That was like a too too good to turn down deal. So now, oh, wait, so what did you get exactly in that package? Yeah. Jeez, uh, you know, I think I have a screenshot of the shopping cart when I was figuring out how much it actually. Uh, was worth and actually it was worth yeah so there were two 16s one eight and then she also had the big 47 inch or the, i guess the medium 47 inch octa uh one of the larger um speed ring attached 32 by 40 soft boxes you know so i have these two you know the the built-in speed speed ring um like kind of they kind of fold up like an umbrella they're kind of like the ellen chrome you know, Octa, OctaBank design. Sure. Uh, and then a couple of stands, bags, some umbrellas, uh, some reflectors. Like, basically, with the, you know, if you were to build the same exact shopping cart at, at, at Pulsey Buff, you're looking at about 1800 bucks. 
Okay. And I, I was able to get it um, for half that, nine, $900. Why'd she sell it so cheap? I don't I don't think she knew what she had, man. Um, cause, were like, they hers or were they I, like... It, it, when I when I went to pick it up, so I picked it up in this weird like luxury apartment in Queens, like this new building with marble in, you know, it was really weird. Um, and I went, you know, and it took me a, like a minute and a half to find the damn place because it was so like in, like her unit in the in the apartment was just it was really yeah. deep in there. It was like it felt like a, like an office building or something like that. And uh, when I walked in there, uh, it, it looked like they were moving. Like there was just like you know, there's no art on the walls, there's no furniture, and it was like a couch and a table. It li- didn't look like they lived there. So my hunch is that they just they needed to clear out. And then this, if I had to, if I did guess. This is like she was a you know a photographer. She thought she wanted to be a photographer. Someone helped her buy all the stuff, and then it wound up sitting in the corner for two years, and yeah. she never used it. So she's like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna get rid of it." So that'd be my guess, but uh, no regrets. You know, I mean, not yet anyway. The way I figured is like, if geez, at that at that rate, um, you know, granted, it is a lot more stuff than I need. I could easily turn any one of those bits around. For the you know for half the half of their brand new prices and still sure. still come out ahead or you know break even at the very least yeah um so and you know and as a result now I have I think six or seven lights not that and again I've never taken them all out on one one shoot or not but now I have a lot more commonality so I think now I own four eight hundreds two sixteen hundreds and a twelve hundred I think that's the like and the, the twelve hundred is like one of the first ones that I bought a long time ago. They don't make the twelve hundred. Yeah, it's the old, the old purple one. Yeah, and I don't, I don't. It's the one with the, that doesn't even have the like doesn't have the spring loaded clips. You, know, you have to use the has the little thumb screws, and it's kind of annoying. You should sell that. One. I should probably sell it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's rare that I ever I bought the thirty two hundred because I was shooting the Polaroid fifty five at the time. Well, right, yeah. If you need that much light, and that stuff's ISO twenty five. So yeah, yeah, you know, and you're stopping down to f eight or f eleven. So yeah, yeah, uh, just massive amounts of light. But I, I honestly, I don't think I ever use even the eight hundreds at full power. I would probably just buy eight hundreds. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of shooting at full power. I think I'm a. I, what I like is I would rather have two or three lights at you know half or quarter power. Yeah, uh, and then you know for the faster recycle and just you know for mo- for having more well, light. Well, the time that, that you need the you need it is when you're outside, right? That's exactly. When you need a lot of light. exactly. Um, but so yeah, I would I would buy pretty much the same camera. I would buy a similar set of lights unless I wanted to spend the amount of money on a nice pro photo kit. But you're spending three grand for a nice little acute kit. Yeah, where you're spending how much of those? Those are three hundred and little under four hundred dollars a piece. So for <sighs> Yeah, fifteen hundred. I so can have cheaper. three of those or four of those. It's true. Um, which, and that's new, so used. Yeah, the, like the pro photo stuff, even used is not that less expensive. No, it really retains its value. Pretty which, well. which is kind of like uh, it's kind of like the uh, the Mac Pros that I was talking about before the show. Yeah, they retain people, their value. It is amazing. It's like do the I think the people who are buying them must not understand the intricacies. You know what I mean? <laughs> like people are buying pre Nehalem, like pre like I seven level Mac pros for thousands of dollars still. And it's like, that is really not a good deal guys. Like that machine is half the speed that you, that the new ones are, you know, or one third the speed. And you guys are spending two thirds of the price of a new one. You know, um, it's just, it's, it's really bad bang for the buck. Um, I don't know. It's just it's fascinating to me. It's like they think that all Mac Pros are equal. Yeah, uh, it's not not so not so. Which true. which they're absolutely you know 
No. They couldn't be more unequal. Yeah. Depending on what you get. Um, so, and then, and then as far as computer goes, I would probably still, I'd probably build a new Hackintosh, but I'd build a nice new one. Yeah, yeah. I would like to. Uh, it's funny, the, uh, the guy, kid I'm working on, uh, this, like, little, uh, collaboration with this, he's like a big 3D guy. Uh, one of the, Matt DeLuca, he was the, um, the real tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of your Drabbles, the, the tall guy. Yeah, the tall guy yeah. Drabble. Mm-hmm. Um, he came over to get a print a couple weeks ago, and he's just like, yeah, you know, and I said, yeah, I've always thought about doing something, because he's a big 3D Studio Max guy. And so we're, he, I said, well, let's collaborate on something. And he, he came up with the idea of shooting people and sort of making them look like they're coming out of stone and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, well, and so I shot some stuff last night. We're going to play with it. But in the process of going back and forth in emails, he said, you know, I've been using my Mac Pro with Boot Camp running Windows 7, but it's a few years old and, uh, and, and 3D Studio Max is not, doesn't run that great on and I've been having all these weird problems. So I'm thinking about building a new machine or, or buying a new machine. And I said, oh, let me spec one out for you. <laughs> so I spec'd out this machine last night. You know, case, power supply, nice motherboard, USB 3, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, quad core i5 that was, you know, 3 gigahertz or whatever, some crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 16 gigs of RAM, 120 gig SSD, DVD, the whole thing, and a really nice video card with a gig of RAM. Mm-hmm. And... The shopping cart is nine hundred and thirty bucks. Nice, you know. I mean, that's, it's just like incredibly cheap. Yeah, um, well, it's just build it yourself, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's, and this and this machine would, you know, run macOS great. You know, if you figured out how to get it all going. You know, uh, so anyway, just it was just interesting just going through because I haven't actually specced one out for myself in a long time. But that would be a really nice machine. So yeah, so I'd probably do the same thing, like my MacBook Air. Mm. Um, I don't know. Would you Would you buy differently? Um, it's funny. Well, the the reason I brought this whole concept or you know idea up was based on this concept that I had, which is it's you know 100% fantasy land. Uh, I was having a chat with my friend Brett, um, and we we were talking about how over the you know over the years over the course of your life, um, you know you, you accumulate stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and you're probably similar to the way Brett and I think and, and operate as far as like, you know, taking some pride and, and developing some attachment to the things that you've purchased. Um, you know, in this, in this, in our, in this conversation, we're talking about like musical instruments and other, you know, other slightly more personalized things. I mean, not, not that a camera isn't more personalized than a musical instrument, but I, I don't know. I think. It, 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 you know what it is? Cameras are much like if, if you were a your drummer, right? So, uh-huh. like, if you got the exact same set of drums, it would feel different. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, same model number, were, same you, series, were, same everything. It's not going right. to be the same as the one right. that I had before. But if you replace a DX7 with another DX7, it's going to be a DX7. Probably. Probably. But even still, there's some people who, like, you know, are attached to certain things. Anyway, so the, the, uh, the idea that we had, uh, we were sort of, again, just sort of fooling around and and brainstorming, but I kind of like this idea. And the idea is like, so, you know, you know, you look at, you look at my apartment and you, you know, you look around and you look at the shelves and all, you see all this random crap that I have, you know, drums and computers and camera stuff and what have you. And the reality is I don't really use, you know, all of that stuff 
all the time, you know, and even if I was busy, even when I'm at my busiest, there's still, I'm only, you know, I only have what I can carry and take with me, you know, to any given place. It's like, you know, the reason I have all these, all of these different things is because the need, you know, arose at some point in the past and, you know, I felt compelled to, to purchase it or I had the means to purchase it. But at the end of the day, I don't really need, you know, like the amount of time I spend using the thing versus how, you know, how much it just spends sitting around is, is, you know, hugely uneven, you know, it's like a drop in the bucket. So I was thinking how, how it would be really interesting if like you could, you could purchase all of your stuff and it'd still be your stuff, but then you would essentially, um, rent it somehow from yourself. So what you, you know, you'd be the owner cause you know, you'd still retain the ownership and you know, it would still have the personal connection and, and you would still, you know, it'd still be your thing. But there, it would be amazing if there was some way where you could store it somewhere or, or keep it somewhere where it would, you know, be earning money for you somehow. You know, where so other, I guess other people could use it too. They actually have a site that does that. What do you mean? Like where you can rent, like I have a chainsaw. I can rent out my chainsaw locally. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Somebody, uh, like, um, I, uh, uh, what the hell is the guy's name? Uh, Baratunde? You know that guy, Baratunde Thurston? Uh-uh. His friend had, there's some guy, I think, in Brooklyn who wanted to basically do what you were saying. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it ever happened, but yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, and we, we, we took it even further and went, went we went all Star Trek on it. And we were okay. we were saying how, you know, in the in whatever, 500 years, once they've cracked the the quantum computing nut and we figured out the way to um, scan physical objects in and and quote unquote print them out, you know, a la, you know, the Star Trek replicator and the trans, you know, the transporter thing, you know, how they can, you're, you said, you know, the, the 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 basic concept behind those those gizmos is that you know they have, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, they have a, a you know a recipe for the you know the, the, you you take the thing that you like, it scans it in at the at the molecular level molecular level. And then and then write that that little recipe down, and then all you sure. need is a is a printer, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, a replicator thingy, and then it just reinterprets the the recipe backwards, and then boom, there's your thing. Yep. So uh, it'd be kind of neat if you if you had the ability. Capitalism to sort of, dissolves. Yeah, it'd be really amazing, man, if you had the ability to uh, to scan all your crap in, and then you know you only you, you know you only replicate what you need when you need it, and then it went. So when, what do you do with it when you're done? Well then, then you then you do you replicate? No, you you yeah you return it back to the the thing. So I guess the the real question is then then you all you need to have the capacity for are the molecules for the stuff that you own. So I guess it's you not need as the much, raw materials. Yeah, it's not as much the money as much as it is the material. So yeah, but I'm sure that raw material will be run by some conglomerate. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there, somebody will always find a way to make money off. Which of is it. fine, and you know, and then, yeah, obviously you buy a bigger hard drive or a bigger you know material deposit repository or whatever you know, and yeah. then that that allows you to make more stuff. But I don't know. I thought it was just it was kind of a weird, an interesting thing to think about. It's absolutely you know it's uh, um, uh, my friends the the Brits they they moved into a new apartment in Williamsburg. And it's this nice place, tall ceilings, exposed brick, it's, you know. Um, but they don't have much stuff in it because they moved over to America literally out of suitcases. Mm. And, I mean, they've acquired stuff over the past couple of years, but they're very, like, kind of keeping it low and small. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that I would get rid of if, like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I could get rid of that extra manila folder. But 
I'm going to need a manila folder eventually in the next year. If I throw that one out, I'm going to have to go buy another one, and that just seems like a waste, so I'll just put it in the shelf with this other crap, you know? Mm. But, you know, like those little things that add up? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, And it's like there's lots of stuff in my house that I'm like, okay, yeah, I have, you know, two nail clippers, you know? Do I throw one out? Mm-hmm. You know, just because I have two of them? Or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and you start getting... It's like you accumulate stuff even if you don't want to. Yeah. In life, you it, know, as time goes on. It actually becomes... I think what happens is it becomes a challenge, a chore, you know? Yeah. To, to... Reduce stuff. Well, to, to, to prevent that from happening. Yep. You know? And I, and I wonder if that... I wonder if that might be, you know, whatever you want to call it, reptilian brain residue, you know, residual... Uh, behavior, you know, like the whole hunter and gathering thing. It's like, you know, in, in, you know, people have argued that, um, you know, uh, the way we some, sometimes the, the decisions that we make and the way we act and behave uh, are based in these really p- super basic principles of like, you don't know when the next time you're going to eat is yeah, so, sure. you know, so you're inclined to eat more, you know, yep. and it's like, you don't, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to see this again. So you better hold on to it because, you know, who knows? I do. I have like, I keep my install disk for say windows 2000 mm-hmm. i still have in my like envelope full of cds well sure i mean uh in the grand scheme of thing that doesn't take up much room at all does it no but at the same time when am i ever going like but i keep thinking oh there's gonna be one day where somebody's gonna come into my house and be like i gotta fix my windows 2000 and i have the data yeah. on there and i can't you know and i'm gonna need this disk you yeah, know, so like it's, but that's, and I'm not even a crazy pack rat person. You know, I do know, I know, you know exactly. So, what you mean. so I can't even imagine what it's like. This must, it must be this to the nth extreme for hoarder people. Yeah. I, I may actually need this newspaper from 1976 at some point. Yeah, I don't get it, man. I, don't, I mean, I, I, um, I do get it, but it, it just kind of, kind of makes me uncomfortable. If anything, my, you know, my mother moved out of her house and we got rid of everything. And uh, and just going through all that stuff, Heather and I came home that weekend, and we were like, "Oh man, we gotta get rid of everything." Yeah, like just let's just start throwing crap out because you just there's just so much stuff, and stuff doesn't matter. Yeah, that's just know? it, man. So I, I mean, I guess to, to sort of kind of come around, so to you know, to the beginning again yeah. of of that concept. I per, if it were if it were me, I would probably you know give a very serious thought. To, to not buying anything, you know, like just, I, I, there's some, I don't know, man, there's just something really not buying like, anything or like waiting until you absolutely need to buy something. Well, no, I mean, let's put it this way. I, I like the idea of, of, uh, uh, of the small footprint. And I know people who know me are laughing because I have anything but a small footprint as far as the amount of crap that I own and yeah. use and have. But again, we're talking in a, you know, fantastical theoretical situation here where all of my stuff went away. Um, so I would probably just start really, really small and, you know, get a, you know, a computer and a nice backpack, you know, and, and, and just start really small and then pick out. And I think I would, I would actively, you know, with that, with an opportunity like that to, to start from, from nothing, I would, I feel like I would, uh, I would only get the things that I absolutely needed when I needed them. And then when I was done with them, I would, I would spend more time trying to get rid of them you know yeah but if you could get rid of stuff now i could but don't. it's that but that's because i'm i'm this far gone do you know what i'm saying I, it's like I'm this I, I feel in. like i feel like your intentions are good but five years down the road you'd be exactly back to where you were maybe maybe but 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 the way i got there would be a totally 
different than the way I got where I am now. Okay. Um, and, and the things that I would have would have more significance because, you know, you're right. I think you're right. I would definitely, over time, begin to replicate that behavior and, and accumulate things. But I have a feeling the things that I would have, if, if I were to start over from scratch with that, with that MO in place of, like, only keeping things that I absolutely needed, um, the value of those things would be greater. And, uh, and I, you know, I don't know. The less you have, the more the things you have mean something. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I, have, I have a friend uh, named Carol who is coming over later today, and she has a rule that nothing goes into her house unless something goes out. Oh, yeah, yeah. For my, one of my mom's friends is like that, too. I don't know how well that works. And, and I give her credit for that. Yeah, that's that's big. And up. she's not even the kind of person who buys lots of stuff. Like, she's pretty minimal anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's I don't know. There's a, this stuff is sort of the bane of the Western world. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, this is a perfectly good Ikea lamp that I don't use anymore, but, like, I feel really terrible putting it outside or throwing it out. So I'm just going to hold on to it, you know? But then again, a lamp that I'd had like that in the closet, and I don't have a lot of stuff like that, but I kept this one, ended up coming in very handy when we set up a desk for Heather. So, you know, it, <sighs> you never know. Yeah. It's kind it's, of, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, man. There's a lot of there's so much stuff now. It's kind of crazy. We've become this like crazy stuff making, stuff keeping, stuff buying society. Well, the only way society will stay is if people keep buying stuff. I guess which so. is kind of sad and pathetic. I feel like it's it's a it's a recipe for disaster. Well, it's a it's a Ponzi scheme. You know, if you have to keep growing in order to maintain then that's a problem because eventually you're going to outgrow your resources yeah like overthriving uh overthriving termites yep it's good all right if you want to get a hold of us yes you can do so uh let's see what do we got circuitous conversations at gmail.com that's right we have at circconf on twitter yep we are at dan godesman and at bill wadman on twitter and we have web page yeah we do which is circuitous .tv, that's C-I-R-C-U-I-T-O-U-S dot T as in Tom and V as in Van. Or if you're in the military, Tango Victor. Tango Victor? Do you know all those off the top of your head? I sure do. Uh, you're impressive. Do you want to hear them? No. No. Okay. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. Lates. Lates.